Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is a special edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program... A federal court has ruled Georgia's restrictive abortion law should be allowed to take effect. This means Georgia will ban most abortions at about six weeks. There are some exceptions, and we'll have more on those provisions in just a moment. In a separate order, the court issued a stay on a previous injunction holding up the law, thus allowing the state to become inf- being a- allowing the state to enforce the new abortion law right now. Originally House Bill 481, this law was in a holding pattern since the Republican majority passed it in 2019. The fate of the law depended on the U.S. Supreme Court's Dobbs versus Jackson case, which of course overturned Roe versus Wade. As to be expected, there's mixed reaction from Georgia Democrats and Republicans. We'll get right to our coverage and first welcome WABE politics reporter Raul Bali. Raul, welcome. Hey, Rose. Before we get to reaction, Let's go over, Raul, what this new law prohibits and allows. So here are the key provision. It bans abortion when there's a, and this is the language in the bill, a detectable human heart rate. And as you mentioned, that's roughly six weeks of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And as been pointed out, that's even before summer or where they're even pregnant. Now, Georgia's old law was about 20 to 22 weeks of pregnancy that you were allowed to, to get an abortion. Uh, there are exceptions. For example, there's exceptions for rape and incest, but there has to be a police report. And that's something that we've heard objections to. Also um, allowed in what's called medical emergencies. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, something that's been up for for debate. Something else that's in this law that's gotten a little less attention, and it's what's being called personhood. Mm -hmm. And it gives rights to an unborn child, for example, tax purposes. And uh, I hadn't even had a chance to mention this to you yet. We just heard from the Georgia Department of Revenue, um, and, and their statement was pretty basic. Hey, we're, we're looking at the legislation. We're going to come up with guidance and, and be releasing that soon of what that means for an unborn child and what that means for, for example, your taxes and other things. And I have a representative, Ed Setzler, coming on in just a moment. I'll be sure to ask him that, too, as he was the champion for that um, bill. Raul, listen, there's been some talk that lawmakers, primarily a push from the Republican base, that more legislation could be coming regarding a full-out ban on abortions. But what are you hearing? It's a mix. Most Republicans you're talking to are just kind of happy where they've gotten to that they've gotten to passing 41 and now 41 is law. There is a much smaller contingent that wants to go the next step, to go from six weeks to a total ban, to get rid of exceptions for rape and incest. And you've even heard from Herschel Walker, the Republican uh, nominee for U.S. Senate. He's talking about no exceptions and, and a complete ban. So you're, you're hearing a divide, but I think the important thing 
that I'm taking away, especially with my conversations yesterday with Republican state lawmakers, there's not an appetite to move a total ban. There's not an appetite to, to push that legislation through. And there's even a question if there are even the votes to get that done. You were out yesterday. You were one of few reporters that I know of, and I'm not just hyping you up because you're my colleague and my friend, <laughs> but you were able to catch up with George Governor Brian Kemp and gubernatorial opponent Stacey Abrams. I'll let you tell the listeners what we're about to hear from Governor Kemp. So, you know, we heard from Governor Kemp just minutes after the ruling. We were actually all up at the state capitol for the swearing in of Andrew Pinson as the new justice of the Georgia Supreme Court. And just minutes, you know, we were actually sitting there and, and the ruling came down and went, well, we're going to have to pull the governor to the side on this. And he came and talked to us. He read a statement mm-hmm. um, and you heard what you would expect about the ruling. You know, we're happy that this has happened. We're happy that this is going to become law. But we also heard this. As mothers navigate pregnancy, birth, parenthood or alternative options to parenthood like adoption, Georgia's public, private and nonprofit sectors stand ready to provide the resources they need to be safe, healthy, and informed. And this is something we've been hearing from other Republicans. We heard this from David Ralston when Roe v. Wade was overturned, this kind of, this focus on resources, because obviously more children are gonna be born. Some of them are gonna need healthcare needs, funding needs, and and less of a focus on, on new abortion restrictions and, and this greater focus on what happens next. You, you're hearing these conversations about foster care and adoption. But as I asked some of the lawmakers, this is going to be a lot of money. This is not a small amount of money we're talking about. So that that's going to be part of the debate and the discussion. And then, Raul, you were able to head over for a Stacey Abrams press briefing? Yeah. Um, and again, as I mentioned with, with Governor Kemp, you heard what she, you would expect. She's very angry. She hopes abortion uh, rights supporters will vote and come out and vote. But we also heard something interesting, which I'm pretty sure, because I've covered a couple of her events already, that we, uh, kind of an answer we hadn't heard, this question of voters who are weighing issues with the economy and inflation versus abortion rights. And this is what she had to say about that. Things go up, things go down, but this law is permanent. Unless we have new leadership, This law will govern their lives, the lives of their daughters, the lives of their friends. The economy can change, but this law becomes the law of the land. And I would say to balance whether your immediate concerns about money outweigh your concerns about your constitutional protected rights. And I I expect to hear that more and more. Raul, some political analysts, depending on whom you ask, you know, we have a lot of them here on this program, contend that this will now become the main issue Leading up to November, the November elections, what are you hearing? And are we going to be just be blanketed with many more campaign ads that are just solely going to focus on reproductive rights, abortion rights, opponents, proponents? My question to, to any analyst in any campaign is how many more votes will this bring you? You know, because there are a lot of people who are already voting on this issue or voting on other issues. How many more votes will there this bring? And let me give you an interesting piece of insight that I've now heard from all sides on this, and again, heard it yesterday. And it's the idea of explaining and educating to voters that what the U.S. Supreme Court did was send the issue of abortion back to the states. Mm-hmm. That makes the elections of your state representative, your state senator, governor, district attorney, and judges matter even more 
because abortion is now a state issue. And by the way, you know, we're, we're seeing this. This could happen in other areas where where federal judges take a more hands off approach and send other issues back to the state. And and what's happening on the state level becomes even more important on these issues. I, back to your original question, you're going to see lots of commercials on abortion, obviously, on both sides, because the, the forces that support House Bill 41 absolutely feel like that they can get their forces out, too, because of the passage and implementation of 481. Mm, Raul, you're working on a, a piece today for WABE News. What's that all about? Um, working on on that legislative portion. So legislative portion I was talking about, about what lawmakers are telling me at the state capitol, uh, kind of what you heard from Governor Kemp, you know, focusing on uh, funding because there's going to be more babies born and, and many of those babies are going to need resources and help. You're going to hear about that. And you're also going to hear about is there, you know, a willingness and a pension to move even further on restricting abortion in the state of Georgia. Mm. WABE politics reporter Raul Bali is always with the latest, as well as Sam Greenglass, our other politics reporter. You all do such a great job covering Georgia politics. Thank you, Raul. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Great to be on, Rose. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. As we continue coverage regarding the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals ruling, Georgia's restrictive abortion law should be allowed to take effect. And, of course, the law bans an abortion once cardiac activity in the womb can be detected, which can occur as early as six weeks into a pregnancy. Again, here's Georgia Governor Brian Kemp from yesterday. As mothers navigate pregnancy, birth, parenthood, or alternative options to parenthood, like adoption, Georgia's public, private, and nonprofit sectors stand ready to provide the resources they need to be safe, healthy, and informed. The lead sponsor of the then House Bill 481 is Republican Representative Ed Setzler. By the way, we should note he is seeking a Senate seat, just in case some of y'all are confused. Uh, Representative Setzler joins me now. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Rose, great to be with you today. This is a law that you champion, and now it is set to take effect immediately. However, I want to get right to this, something I talked to our politics reporter about. Do you feel or do you have any Republican colleagues who feel the need that maybe y'all should start talking about legislation that would enact a full outright ban on abortion? Well, Rose, I would just tell you, you know, we, we are we are just so just there's such a sense of peace of finally having stopped 50 years of violence uh, the violence of abortion. You know, the idea that in Georgia we could make such a, a powerful, principled step, you know, following science, law, and common sense to get us to where we are today. I think the kind of things that the governor was talking about of putting in place structures 
to come alongside women who find themselves in difficult circumstances is going to be our focus moving forward. And I think that's something we can all celebrate and, and really folks from all parts of the political spectrum should be able to get behind. Well, as you know, Representative Settler, everyone is not behind that. But I do want to get to that in terms of what you're saying, because Governor Kemp yesterday saying that he is behind ensuring that the state and others, and I'm quoting him here, quote, stand ready to provide the resources they need to be safe, healthy and informed. So, Representative Settler, what should those resources include and is legislative action needed then to ensure that folks have been made promises before? And it never comes online. So what should those promises look like? What are those resources? What should they be? Rose, if you recall back in 2018, we passed a landmark adoption law that made the make it economically so much more viable for young women to make that alternate decision to, to, to offer a child up for adoption. Um, again, got broad bipartisan support because adoption really is a, a loving option that, that uh, is available to people moving forward. Just this past year, we passed Betsy's Law, as you may recall, uh, which deregulated kindness, as we like to say. It allowed families, nonprofits, and churches, you know, through a nonprofit entity, to provide a free place to live for for young expecting mothers and their kids all the way until 18 months after they deliver, without the crushing state and, and local regulations to try to stop that. Again, to solve one of the biggest challenges uh, women with unplanned pregnancies face, which is a place to live. So Betsy's Law came in place in 2022 in a very powerful way, moved the ball forward. You know, for years, Rose, we've been very accommodating. Um, you know, this Kemp administration has really led the way. Um, How? And, you know, How have they led the way? Because I think I, I a lot was, of people hearing that are probably raising some eyebrows. You know, the, the Kemp administration doesn't even require a pregnancy test for a woman to be able to, to register and get on Medicaid as, as a young pregnant woman. There's, there's a default position to be able to receive services. Um, you know, we cover women until one year after after delivery with postpartum services. There's a whole array of things the Kemp administration's led on, not the least of which is, as as was alluded to earlier by Raul, you know, the personhood component of the Life Act, the Living Infants Fairness and Equality Act, recognizes the personhood of the child in the womb and allows mom to get uh, child support from dad essentially as soon as she finds out she's pregnant. You know, well, at the as you've talked about, at the six six weeks uh, gestational age, she's able to get full support for all pregnancy-related expenses from dad. Let's back up for a moment because you, in what we're so far, and you're talking about in terms of the baby being delivered. But as you know, Representative Setzler, Georgia's history in having a high maternal mortality rate. But are you committed now to ensuring that this state has even more reproductive resources for women and young girls? Because as you know as well, rural women and black rural women have higher rates of maternal mortality, and there are so many social and physical risk factors aligned with the death of a woman during her pregnancy or even up to a year after the preg- after, after delivering the baby. As Raul, as you mentioned, Raul alluded to, that takes resources. It takes money. What are you all going to ensure? You were the champion of this law. So now we need to focus on what you all are going to do to help women and young girls. Yeah, you know, Rose, that's one of the things that I think we can we can look at the Life Act and, and recognize that it recognizes the difficult circumstances women find themselves in. Well, it's Bal- not just the, I mean, but there's another party involved too. I mean, there's a lot of party, but th- there's a lot of factors involved here. What are you all going to do? 
Right, Rose. It's I, I was I was walking right through the list. I mean, it's your show. You can you, you can cut me off whenever you want to. But when you walk through the uh, the the benefits that the Life Act provides to, to expecting mothers, I mean, moms now will get child support from dad six weeks after pregnancy. Before you had to, the child had to be born, then she had to establish paternity and pursue child support. Now child support's happening throughout her pregnancy, so that dad now financially is a participant in that process. Uh, you know, we're providing tax deductions for families um, that as soon as you have a, your child has a detectable heartbeat, mom and dad, you get a full dependent tax exemption. Um, you're, when you look at a, a social services child support perspective, it's going to be done through the, through the lens and through the framework of the child being a, a, a child that's six months along in the womb, being a, treated essentially like a child that's six months along outside of mom. That, that, that whole framework lays the groundwork for our social services to provide a level of care to women in pregnancy that's never been recognized before. That's the premise of the bill because we treasure and recognize that life inside the mother is worthy of full legal protection. But here's the other issue. There are a couple of things here, and I want to get your thoughts on this too, because we're talking about also access to resources when, and you know this, and it's proven, so many in Georgia County, so many Georgia counties, women do not have access to an OBGYN. Are you all going to make sure, ensure that in every county in Georgia, there are these resources for women? Because that's, that's an issue. All that relates to the maternal mortality rate. Rose, I think if, if you, any objective look at our current circumstances, you can see there have been tremendous advances in telemedicine. You know, people being able to have access not just to mid-level practitioners in rural counties, but also doctors through strong telemedicine. You know, the Kemp administration has doubled down on that. We're seeing, you know, the last four years, much greater access to meaningful care. I mean, the, the, the top medical care that exists, even some of the, the specialists that exist really only in Atlanta, across the state in ways that, that have never been seen before. And that, that's across socioeconomic backgrounds. That's across... You know, income levels, and that's something we can all be excited about. So I you think, think telehealth is the is the answer if there's not an OBGYN, not even one in a Rose, county where women reside? I'm just trying to make sure I understand you, that's all. Rose, you and I both know that um, there, there's no substitute for having uh, you know, professional health care providers in rural counties. Absolutely. Uh, and we've we've been making progress. If, if you'll note, the, the legislature has funded additional um, slots in the Medical College of Georgia um, for physicians for commitments to go to rural Georgia. We've made more progress in the last six years on rural medicine than we we have in the previous 20. We're not where we need to be, but but you've seen a consistent bottom line commitment, not just talk, but action and dollars and strategic thoughtful ways to address this issue. And I think it's something Georgians can be proud of. We're not where we need to be, but but we're, Governor Kemp and the legislature has us in a track that, that, that recognizes like perhaps never before the importance of our rural communities thriving as well as our urban communities. So what then is the next step for you all? I want to make sure we have you on the record for a lot of listeners. I get the emails as sure you do from your, not only your constituents, but I get emails from everybody. Question from my emailer right now. What are you all going to do to help women and young girls? And do you have any objection to banning any of the exceptions. You heard Raul talk about some lawmakers say this law doesn't go far enough. Well, Rose, you know, I think one, one thing we want to step back and, and ask the question of, you know, are we, 
we, we've been working under this false premise for 50 years that, that somehow, you know, the, the, the taking of a, of a life in, in utero is somehow healthcare. That's one of the lot. One, one of the lies that Stacey Abrams and her team are going to tell folks, this is healthcare. It's not healthcare. It's, it, it destroys life. The premise that we're taking something from people is a false premise. We have a living, distinct, whole human being inside of a woman with her own, with, with its own heartbeat, with its own blood type, its own DNA, that now we're finally protecting. This is a step forward for healthcare. You keep saying it's, that, but the question is, and, and I don't want to have an argue with, argument with you about that, because you and I, have, we've argued about that. I, this is law now, so now the question is, and this is what folks want to know, the question is, okay, this is law now. What are you all going to do? You were the main champion of this bill. So I think it's fair. Listeners have a right to know what are you all going to do. Let's lay it out if you can. Sure. Well, as, as, I've, as I've laid out before, you know, we have um, we extend postpartum care for moms 12 months after birth. We have automatic enrollment in Medicaid for women who have needs, even without without any bureaucratic barriers. That's been put in place and, and maintained by the KIPP administration. And our targeted waivers program focuses the federal dollars that we do get at outcomes. It focuses federal dollars on this issue of um, maternal mortality. It focuses it on areas where there's greater need, like rural Georgia. It doesn't fund healthy single adults like you, like the, 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 the an expansion, a broad expansion of Medicaid would. It focuses the do- federal dollars we have on exactly the kind of programs we're talking about. We have led the nation in focusing resources where they need to go. And that's something we're going to continue well, to do. Well, I don't know about Georgia leading the nation on that. I need to see some documentation on that, Representative Stiles. But I want to go back to something else, because you've talked about allowing the woman to to sue or, or to make, allowing the, making sure the father, how are you going to do testing? You can't do any testing before the baby's born. You can. Sure, sure you can. Um, there's, um, we, we can jump into the weeds of that if you want to. In many cases, you know, paternity is not even disputed. Uh, so we have, we have there's there's well, there's not, a, not, now wait a minute what, what do you mean Rose, Rose, uh, l- 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 let me walk let me walk let me say this. you know I don't know where you live I know where I live are you telling me that in many cases it's not disputed I mean Rose the, come the, on the Representative Setzler the first thing I told you is there is in utero testing that can establish it if it's disputed in many cases it's not disputed as you well know and no I don't law, know that I'm not don't put that on me because I don't know that come on now you've I've, we've we've been around this before and i want to be fair to you i always try to be when you say things representative settler i ask you to send me information and, and i'm still waiting on information for my last conversation uh rose there is uh it's it's widely recognized in fact i last uh, last week was talking to clinicians and attorneys about this issue of uh, in utero testing it can it can be proved proven in utero and it doesn't require you know intrusive amniocentesis like it used to they're they're t- they're non there are much less invasive tests that can establish that. Secondly, in, in many cases, in many, many cases, uh, paternity is not disputed. And it allows this to be put in place um, so that mom can get care throughout her pregnancy. Um, and if it is disputed and over t- it takes time, then back, she gets back pay that dates back not to birth, but dates back to the establishment of the heartbeat, which is six weeks into pregnancy. So there's 34 weeks, Rose. Okay. That is that's that's more than eight months of, of health care coverage that dad is participating to come alongside mom financially during pregnancy. That's a great step forward for for moms uh, and for unborn children. Georgia Republican State Representative Ed Settler, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. When you have 
some more detailed information for our listeners. Will you come back and, and lay it out for us? Happy to, Rose. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. continues now from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Our coverage regarding the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals ruling Georgia's restrictive abortion law should be allowed to take effect continues. And of course, if you don't know, you probably do. The law bans an abortion once cardiac activity in the womb can be detected, which can occur as early as six weeks into a pregnancy. Joining the program now is Georgia State University law professor Tanya Washington, who's been a regular contributor on this issue. Professor Washington, welcome back. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Rose. Professor Washington, let's begin here. In the ruling from the appeals court, and this is from Chief Judge William Pryor of the 11th Appeals, contends that in Dobbs versus Jackson, the Women's Health Organization, it, it makes it clear that no right to an abortion exists under the Constitution, so Georgia may prohibit them, close quote. Now, I want to just get your thoughts on that. That seems to be sort of the context here for that ruling. Your thoughts on that? Yes. Yes. I mean, this was entirely expected. Um, in the wake of the Dobbs decision overruling both Roe and Casey, um, the petitioners who challenged Georgia's law rooted it in the constitutional protection that was offered uh, for abortion by Roe and Casey. And once those cases were overturned, then this outcome was entirely foreseeable. The court was to decide whether Georgia can prohibit some abortions and whether its redefinition, I'm quoting here, of, quote, natural person to include an unborn children is unconstitutionally vague on its face. I've had listeners email me and want more context of this. When you talk about unconstitutionally vague on its face, what what is this saying here? So the um, challengers of the bill raised two points. One was whether there was a constitutionally protected right to abortion, which Dobbs answered in the negative. And then the second challenge was, as you noted, uh, to the constitutionality of the recognition of personhood for any child at any stage um, carried in the womb of a woman. And so the, the question in terms of vagueness is whether the description of personhood is uh, so vague, so um, amorphous or undefinable that people don't have notice of how it would apply in other legal contexts. So we have a lot of other laws Mm -hmm. that will be affected by this, like criminal law, um, some civil reporting statutes that will be affected by this recognition of personhood that is imbued to uh, a fetus. And I want to focus on that because I've been reading a lot about this. Now you, it is likely that we will see a lot of legal challenges to what that definition of personhood looks like and challenges as it may, may relate to what Representative Setzer was talking about in terms of child support and, and all other kinds of – and look, some people may think this is absurd, but there was a woman who was pulled over for riding in an HOV lane, and she said, well, I'm pregnant, and now that this is law – this was another state that I'm there are two people in the vehicle. I mean, I know some folks said that's absurd, but those are the type of, of I guess, circumstances or consequences that are going to come with, with something like this. Yes. I, and I don't think that's absurd. 
I mean, I think it is a common sense application of the law. If a fetus is a person, then it was not absurd for her to assert that there were two people in the car. Um, Georgia, the Georgia law does make uh, accommodations for child support at the time of conception um, and tax benefits. Um, you can claim that person under your state taxes as a dependent insurance coverage. But there are some other kind of unforeseeable applications of this law that are going to really test uh, kind of the reasonableness of it. So I'm thinking of reporting requirements for child abuse. Mm -hmm. If a woman leaves the state and uh, she's pregnant, it, a Georgia resident is pregnant, leaves the state to obtain an abortion in a state where it is legal and comes back not pregnant, is she charged? Can she be charged with child abuse? Can people who know that she was pregnant or who may have given her funds to help obtain an abortion elsewhere be charged with not having reported the child abuse if the fetus is a person? These are kind of the collateral consequences that are gonna play out in court challenges throughout the state in the wake of this decision. And along with those collateral consequences, as you just said, I want to talk about some more p potential constitutionality or legal challenges here, because some have argued that this could have far-reaching consequences, including we're, we're talking about, okay, maybe the actions of the mother. She likes to skydive. Could she be brought against charges in terms of, well, she's, you know, endangering the life of another person? Again, I know folks send me these emails, but these are stories. These are actual and some of these are actual court cases that are already being taken up or at least been entered into court in other states. I mean, it's just a lot here. Professor Washington, did the court should the court have given some other ruling through your lens? You're a law expert here. Could the courts have given some other provisions or, or wanted the plaintiffs to, to come with something different or the defendants here? Was the ruling still kind of vague through your lens? I think the ruling could have um, addressed some of these potentialities in greater detail. Um, as it stands under this law that is now the law of Georgia, um, as you noted, the woman is pretty much going to be under surveillance for 10 months. And for those of us who have been pregnant, you know it's not a nine month pregnancy, it's 10 months, it's 40 weeks. Um, and so for 40 weeks, there will be questions about whether she can drink, um, whether she can engage in strenuous activity, whether she can engage in activities that would endanger the child, which she has a constitutionally right, constitutional right to engage in, like skydiving. Um, so these questions are yet unanswered, and they will be answered in the context of court challenges that will be brought by women who are reported to be engaging in behavior that endangers the fetus, now person, that she is carrying. I want to move over then to are there any other possible legal challenges for those in the abortion rights community? Listen, SCOTUS has made their ruling. The appeals court has made their ruling. Is there anything else here? Yes. Uh, one of my colleagues, Anthony Christ, has um, emphasized that Georgia actually has constitutional protections under the state constitution for privacy and citizenship that could be used as vehicles, vehicles for challenging the enforcement of this law as invading 
those constitutionally protected rights. And so I think those arguments should be made because even if they're not successful in invalidating the law, they can help us to understand the breadth and depth of its enforcement. And the last thing I wanna say, Rose, and I'm glad that you asked um, the state rep about this, is this promise for more resources um, seems to put the cart before the horse. Uh, we should have had those resources in place Right. There were about 37,000 abortions that took place in, in Georgia. Some of them were non-residents, but that would be 37,000 children that would be born. And even if, you know, adoption or foster care is the solution that's being presented by the governor and others, uh, our child welfare system is already overwhelmed and under-resourced. So we can't take, we're not taking good care of the pregnant mothers and the children who are being born and walking around the streets in the state of, of Georgia. So the promise that, oh, we'll provide greater resources is a promise that should have been made manifest before they put additional stress on our uh, fiscal and political systems. I want to get your thoughts also in something that struck me in reading the opinion of the court here, because they use this term, the abortionist. And I thought, and that just, and, and this, look, I, I'm not as smart as you or anybody else that, you know, that's in this area. Uh, but that just struck me in terms of this type of language that was used in this opinion from the court. Well, I looked up the word because I was struck by it as well. It wasn't used in the Supreme Court's decision. Um, and it's a it's a, a term that a, applies to people who perform a, abortions that are, who are not medical practitioners, right? And it's used um, to denigrate the choice that women had prior to the Dobbs decision. Um, that, in my opinion, is a legitimate choice and should be considered con a constitutionally protected choice. So the, the one thing that I tell my students is language matters. Mm -hmm. How you frame and name things creates an impression on the reader. And they wanted to signal um, in a very direct way that these people are um, practicing or promoting uh, a choice that is should be viewed in derogatory through a derogatory lens. Words matter. I think that was probably the first thing I learned in my first journalism class. They do. In, they do indeed. In high school. From Georgia State University, Georgia State law professor Tanya Washington, a regular contributor to Closer Look on this issue. Thank you so much, Professor Washington, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Rose. It was great to be with you. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. As we continue our coverage regarding the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals ruling Georgia's restrictive abortion law should be allowed to take effect. And this, our coverage will continue. The law bans an abortion once cardiac activity in the womb can be detected, which can occur as early as six weeks into a pregnancy. Joining me now from the ACLU of Georgia, the executive director, Andrea Young. Director Young, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you exploring this topic, and I wish we were talking about something uh, less grave. I want to begin here in a statement 
from your organization, which includes, quote, the court took this action on its own without any request from the state and outside of the normal court procedures, close quote. Can you take that further for our listeners? What do you mean by that, Director Young? Yeah, so this is this was, you know, on appeal in the 11th Circuit uh, Court of Appeals. And typically what we what would happen is that the court would issue its ruling consistent with Dobbs, which we know eliminated the constitutional right to abortion, a right women have had for 50 years. Uh, and uh, and in a very unorthodox way, immediately vacated the injunction. Typically, it, they would have sent it back to the district court and we would have had about 20, 28 days, you know, for just sort of regular, you know, paperwork and processing and so forth. And our clients would have you know, had some opportunity to prepare. Uh, you know, this injunction was lifted. People had appointments scheduled. There were probably people in clinics in mid-conversation, you know, with physicians. Um, and so it, it was just quite unorthodox and frankly, you know, stunning uh, that the court would do that. And that second ruling then saying it could, the law can take effect immediately. immediately. Folks should know that there were two separate orders here. You found that to be problematic. Yes, quite. I mean, quite unusual, quite unusual. And uh, and so it meant that, you know, there was, as I said, this injunction was lifted immediately. Um, you know, again, I, ha- you know, the, the as you all, as, as uh, Professor Washington talked about, the derogatory language that was used, it was quite um, extraordinary. Um, to have that part of, um, you know, what's usually a fairly, you know, cut and dried uh, process. So, um, it's, you know, very, very disturbing and I think intended to be pre- prejudicial, but this is consistent with the judicial activism that we have seen from, um, you know, many of the Trump, frankly, the Trump judicial appointments. You have said that the ACLU of Georgia will continue to fight for abortion rights for the women of Georgia with all the tools at your disposal. What do you have left, Director Young? Well, I think, again, Professor Washington, you know, did reference uh, the Georgia Constitution. So we are exploring, you know, all of those options. And of course, you know, uh, as you know, Rose, uh, these are laws, you know, these laws don't appear out of uh, uh, nowhere. You know, they are enacted by members of the legislature. They are signed by the governor. Uh, and so there is a political process. I mean, the, the, the Supreme Court turned this issue back to the states. It essentially said, you know, states, you know, if you want to make women second class citizens, it's OK with us. Um, but it doesn't have to be OK with the voters uh, and the voters don't have to accept um, elected representatives that treat women in such a, uh, in, with, with it, at best indifference as a, in terms of the impact that a ruling like this, that, that laws like this have on our lives. You know, I'm a mother, a grandmother. I've had, I've been pregnant. Fortunately, I wasn't pregnant at a time when I was forced by the government to be pregnant. Um, but this is what women in Georgia are going to begin to experience. You are as and this, you know, I mean this with great respect. You are a child of the civil rights. Your father, Andy Young, so many in his generation fighting for civil rights. Many align this and step with a violation of civil rights. 
make the parallels here for our listeners if they don't get it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things we have seen since women have had the right to control their own reproduction, you know, this was one of the things in slavery, black women could not control with whom uh, they, you know, uh, had a family, you know, it could have been the, the, the owner or someone that they, you know, breeded them with. So this is a very serious issue for black women uh, being able to control, have a right to our own bodies with whom, when and with whom we have uh, a family. Um, also, we have seen since women have had the ability to control their own reproduction, you know, we've seen women's increase attendance in college and professional school. We've seen, uh, you know, look at, you know, Atlanta's had two black women mayors now. Um, you know, and so the Sandra Day O'Connor in the Planned Parenthood B. Casey, which in the 1990s reaffirmed Roe, um, the first woman to serve on the Supreme Court said that this was essential to women being able to fulfill their own potential, that women were able to make the decisions uh, for themselves and that allowed them to fully participate as citizens in society. So yes, this is a this is a rights and liberties issue, which is why the ACLU is so involved, you know, in this matter of women being able to make the own, their own decisions. Uh, and, and, you know, again, we are in Georgia, the law already uh, prohibited late abortions, mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about in Georgia, it was early, you know, the abortion took place at an early stage before the fetus was viable. And this law is so much more extreme than that. You know, they call it a, they name it in a way that makes people think you're talking about a later stage of pregnancy. But this, you know, the, pre, the, the, the previous law in Georgia was already um, more restrictive than uh, the Roe v. Wade decision. The ACLU of Georgia, you all obviously do not uh, endorse candidates, obviously, um, but you all have a powerful voice. What work will you all be doing between now and November? Yes, well, we will be doing a lot to educate voters um, that the, you know, people have to understand how laws are made and, 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 and who's responsible for them. And so, you know, part of being an informed citizen is holding elected officials accountable. And we believe, and polling shows, that the majority of Georgians are not supportive of this extreme, uh, this kind of extreme legislation. Um, and it is a, and so we're going to educate people as to, you know, we're having town, you know, forums across the state. We'll be, you know, doing, um, you know, educational materials, digital, so forth. You know, so we're we along with, you know, the many many. Um, organizations that advocate for civil rights and civil liberties, advocate for women in the state of Georgia uh, to really educate people, to help them understand, take this, don't be frustrated, take this anger, take, the, take your views into the voting booth um, and make sure that your elected officials rep, you know, are, represent the stance that you take on this issue. We want um, that women need to make these very personal and private decisions for themselves, not politicians. That we don't want the district attorney in the examination room with us and our OBGYN. You know, um, I do want to get your thoughts because 
immediately after the Supreme Court's ruling with Roe versus Wade, and we had a, a lot of even local district attorneys here, and I think even uh, Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens said that he did not want Atlanta Police Department involved in, in anything that remotely had to do with this. Uh, your thoughts on now what, what local um, mm-hmm. municipalities, what they'll be faced with as well? Yeah, well, I think that you know jurisdiction does go to the district attorney, but of course, you know, Georgia has 159 counties. Um, and so, you know, the fact that some, you know, and, and, and district attorneys are elected officials, so mm-hmm. they can't they can be responsive, right, to their constituents. Um, but Georgia has 159 counties. And so we can't rely on the goodwill of, you know, of one or two people. Of course, if you're, if you are, um, you know, Emory University, you're concerned, you know, you've got malpractice, you've got insurance, mm-hmm. you've got, there's so many different factors. And, you know, law-abiding people don't don't want to, you know, come afoul of the law, right? Yeah. And so it's very, uh, um, but again, this, you know, I think that there's been so little attention, including when they were discussing this bill, mm-hmm. uh, about the impact on women's lived experiences. Rose, we're going to see women suffer with miscarriages, some you know, uh, have very, you know, damages to their health. We're going to see women and girls dropping out of school and college, losing their jobs. We know that women and their partners uh, who are denied uh, abortions are more likely to live in poverty, as are their children. Um, And so this is not, this is something that we will only begin to understand the suffering that will cause. I want to play a clip again. This is from yesterday. This is Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. I want to get your thoughts on what the governor had to say in terms of through his lens now and what he was offering that the state and others could do. As mothers navigate pregnancy, birth, parenthood, or alternative options to parenthood, like adoption, Georgia's public, private, and nonprofit sectors stand ready to provide the resources they need to be safe, healthy, and informed. The governor says everybody stands ready. They're not doing it now, Rose. You know, why, you know, where are the, where are the support for the, in fact, when we were, um, one of the demonstrations we had against the abortion ban, a young woman came up to me with her two children and she said, I can't get any support from the state. I can't get any you know, I had, she said, I had my babies and I cannot get any help to raise them. And so Georgia is not a place that is supportive of mothers and children. Georgia today has one of the highest maternal mortality rates in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, uh, so, you know, don't, don't talk to me about what you will do. Where are, there are plenty of women who are trying to have healthy babies that cannot get support from the state. They are not having healthy pregnancies. We, we, the ACLU has litigation trying to keep, make it so that women can't get fired when they're pregnant. Uh, you know, so Georgia is not protecting women who are choosing, who, who, who want to have healthy pregnancies. They're not getting the support from the state. You know, you know how hard it is for anybody to get on welfare in the state of Georgia. We, you know, we, we don't have, accessible housing for families. Mm -hmm. The school funding formula that just passed the uh, legislature was based on the 1980s. So we are not, 
we are not caring for women and children in this state. And it and and to pretend that something is going to change now um, is not is just not um, you know not believable. And finally, and it's something that we've talked about, but I I, don't, I think we can't stress it enough because we've all covered this, and that is when you talk about inequities and disparities and access, it's usually poor people, people of color, and in folks in rural communities, and obviously Georgia. Yeah. Encapsulates encapsulates all of those populations here. Concerns you have for those specific communities? Yes, I mean this will fall the hardest on those least able to um, navigate. So how is it that if you don't feel you can care for the children you have, because at least half the people having abortions are already trying to take care of children they love, that then how are they going to maneuver? Uh, again, Georgia hasn't extended Medicaid. So we have so many mothers that do not have comprehensive health coverage uh, for themselves. You know, we, we've expanded Medicaid for, you know, the old, old fashioned Medicaid, but of course that's like half of the poverty rate. So, mm -hmm. so many working families do not have insurance. They don't have job protections. You know, uh, there, there are, um, there's, there's just so many there are just going to be so many people suffering because of this forced pregnancy regime that has been put in place in this state. Mm. Andrea Young, executive director for the ACLU of Georgia. Director Young, as always, thank you so much for taking the time and being part of this broadcast. Really appreciate it. Great. Thank you. And a note of disclosure, the ACLU of Georgia is a, an underwriter of WABE from time to time. We're back in a moment. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. Our summer intern is Lennox Johnson. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it is always online, wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like, because we'll be there. And it's free. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us. 
WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.